This is message two of a conference held in Spokane, Washington on Saturday, October 20th, 2018, given by Brother Ed Marks. Title of message two is Enjoying the All-Inclusive Christ as the Reality of All Positive Things. Scripture reading, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 18a. John chapter 14, verse 6a, and John chapter 14, verse 17. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, John chapter 16, verse 13. Again, I'd like to point out that the general subject for this uh, conference is enjoying the riches of Christ for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. So we need to give ourselves to enjoy Him. Even in this meeting, we want to enjoy Him to the uttermost. And, um, you know, I was really touched, this is part of a footnote actually, that the content of the church life depends upon the enjoyment of Christ. The more we enjoy Him, the richer the content will be. But to enjoy Him requires us to love Him with the first love, which is to give Him the first place in all things, making Him everything in our life. So uh, we need to give ourselves to enjoy the Lord. Now this morning, uh, you can see the title of this message is Enjoying the All-Inclusive Christ as the Reality of All Positive Things. He is the reality of of all positive things. Anything you can think about that's positive, he's the reality of that thing. He's our real glasses, right? You don't have you don't have him, everything's a blur, right? Anyway, just an example. Uh, all right. Now let's come to Roman number one. It says, Let no one therefore judge you in eating and in drinking or in respect of a feast, or of a new moon, or of the Sabbath, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no one defraud you by judging you unworthy of your prize. Saints, don't let anyone defraud you of your prize. What is our prize? Our prize is the enjoyment of Christ. And we shouldn't let anyone defraud us of our prize. Um, It's possible that we can come across persons who, when we contact them, they defraud us of our prize. Uh, They might be very negative, might have a lot of negative talk. We need to stay away from that. Uh, We need to, we need to, you know, if you come to any home, there's a trash can in every home. But you don't put the trash can on the dining room table. And say, here, have a banana peel. You don't do that. You put it under the sink where no one can see it, right? Eventually, in the church life, it's the same way. Eventually, the universal trash can is the lake of fire. Everything will go into that. So we, need, we don't need to dwell on that, right? We've got so many positive things of Christ that we can enjoy. And we don't want anyone or anything to defraud us of our enjoyment of Christ. Now, A says this. It says, as with the man's physical body, the body in Colossians 2.17 is the substance 
and like the shadow of a man's body, the rituals in the law are the shadow of Christ, who is the substance and reality of the gospel. Colossians unveils such an all-inclusive Christ as the focus of God's economy. Uh, before we uh, go further, I would just like to mention Genesis 15:1 again, where the Lord told Abram, he said, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. That means he's our shield to protect us from everything of the evil one. And he's our exceedingly great reward. What's our reward for coming here Saturday morning? It's Christ, right? It's him. It's the enjoyment of Christ. And in Philippians 3.8, when Paul says uh, that, I'm, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, you can also translate gain as win, that I may win Christ and be found in him. That means Christ is our prize. That's why we come to the meeting, to get a prize. And their prize is Christ. Now in Colossians 1.17, it says, he is before all things, and all things cohere in him. All things cohere in him. In other words, Paul saw, I don't know how Paul saw this. We have to ask him in the next age. But uh, he saw that the entire universe is held together by Christ. That Christ is the subsisting center of the universe. Everything in the universe is held together by Christ. Scientists wonder what holds the universe together. Well, we can tell them who holds the universe together. It's Christ. All things cohere in him. And not only the physical universe, but our personal universe. He needs to be our center. We need to center everything on him. He's our center this morning. So if he's our center, everything in our being coheres in him. If he's not our center... Everything is out of orbit. Everything is chaos, right? So we want him to be our center because all things cohere in him. And, of course, he's the firstborn from the dead that he he himself might have the first place in all things. He's every man and the new man. Christ is all and in all. That means Christ is all the persons and in all the persons in the new man. Now, B says daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly, Christ is the reality of every positive thing, implying the universal extensiveness of the all-inclusive Christ. I like that utterance, the universal extensiveness of the all-inclusive Christ. So, uh, you know, brothers and sisters, many Christians are superstitious. They might think, Wow, you know, when I got saved, uh, I was enjoying the Lord so much, and now I don't enjoy the Lord that much anymore. Well, our joy needs to be maintained. Our enjoyment of Christ needs to be maintained every day. I really like uh, one of the last words that came out of Watchman Nee when he was in prison. He said, I've learned how to maintain my joy. I've learned how to maintain my joy. We need to learn... We need to say, Lord, I like to be your disciple. I like to learn how to maintain my joy in you. So to do that, we come to one. It says daily, Christ is our food and drink for our satisfaction and strengthening. So he's our food. 
He's our spiritual food. He's our spiritual drink for our satisfaction and strengthening. Aren't you glad you have Christ as your spiritual food? And Christ as your spiritual beverage. He's our spiritual drink. And every day, we need to eat Christ as our spiritual food. I love John 6.57 because it says, He who eats me shall live because of me. It doesn't say shall live by me. It's not a wrong translation. But the best translation is shall live because of me, which means that he's the basic factor, uh, element, and essence of our living. Like right now, I'm living because I'm up here like this, praise the Lord, because of the breakfast I ate this morning. So we need to be this, be like that spiritually. Now, the Lord was not talking about, when he talked about eating him, he was not talking about eating him physically. And you had to, uh, I'm kind of sad that a lot of the disciples left him at this point. They said, this man's talk, telling us to eat him. This is a hard word. And I remember when I first heard this word, uh, it was a hard word for me. And we even have that hymn, I think, in our supplement, We'll Masticate Jesus. We'll Masticate Jesus. Oh, when I, when I got to that song, I said, oh, my goodness. I, I really love the saints, but it was hard for me to sing it. But it's scriptural to sing it because in John 6, when it used the words eats, the literal Greek word is masticates, is masticates. He who masticates me shall live because of me. So to masticate something is to put the food in your mouth, send it back to your molars. If you have molars, send it back to your molars and you, 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 you liquefy the food, right? And then it's easy to be digested and assimilated. We need to do the same thing with the word of God. Uh, Debbie, you were telling me that Brother Lee could spend uh, on Psalm 133, which is three verses. How long did he say he could spend on that? Well, he said I could spend one month. One month. But then eventually, later on, he said that actually, he gave us a secret. Actually, two months. Wow, two months. Two months on three verses. That is to masticate the word of God. That is to masticate the word of God. You know... Even I was singing a Psalm 133 when Debbie shared that with me. First word is behold. Behold. There's a lot there. Behold. And it says how good. How good. He doesn't say very good. He says how good. That means the goodness does not have a ceiling on it. It's how good. How pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in oneness. So we need to be the same way. And muse on the word in that way. Now in John 6.63, the Lord went on to explain what he meant. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. I'm not talking about the flesh here. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. So the way to eat the Lord is to eat his words. Because his words are spirit and life. Spirit and life. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and you combine that with 1 Corinthians 12, 3b, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, excuse me, 
1 Corinthians 12, 13, says we were all given to drink one spirit. We've been baptized in one spirit, and we've all been given to drink one spirit. So saints, we need to be drinkers this morning. Don't be so much of a thinker this morning. I'm not saying throw away your mind, but drink the spirit this morning. Then your mind will be renewed, right? And how do we drink the spirit? In the same chapter, verse 3b says, no one can say, Lord Jesus, except in the Holy Spirit. How about we say Lord Jesus together? Lord Jesus. Now the Bible says when you say that, you are in the Holy Spirit. So we need to call on the Lord and say that. Now Isaiah 12 uh, is a very marvelous uh, chapter in the Bible, and we have a song to it. It says, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation, and in that day you shall say what? Praise the Lord. What shall we say? Praise the Lord. And it says, call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. And it says, cry out and shout. And you can't shout in your, in your home. You might, you know, if you get up real early, you might wake up your wife. The baby might start crying. But we can, we can shout in the meetings, right? Let's say praise the Lord again. Praise the Lord. It says, cry out and shout. Thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of, of you. In the midst of you. So we need, to, we need to practice this. Now two says, weekly Christ is our Sabbath for our completion and rest in Him. I really like this. Every day, saints, we need to take Christ as our Sabbath rest. You know, in the book of Exodus, uh, uh, the Lord is speaking through Moses, and he's sharing a lot about the furniture of the tabernacle, how to build the furniture, uh, and the functions of the furniture. And then all of a sudden, he talks about the Sabbath again, keeping the Sabbath, which shows that before we do anything, we need to keep Christ as the Sabbath. We need to take Christ as our Sabbath rest. I, I, it's always with me. Uh, you know, we, we get up out of our bed, and right away, uh, I forget, Leah, what you said, the train tracks are going this way and this way, and you're thinking about, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that, and, and you get right to it. Instead of having a Sabbath, taking the Lord as your Sabbath, and spending personal time with Him. Actually, you, you'll get much more done if you spend personal time with Him. So we need to spend personal time with Him, where he is our Sabbath for our completion and rest in him. Now, I don't have this verse on here, but I love this verse. It's Isaiah 30, verse 15. And it says this, In returning and rest, you will be saved. That means you return to the Lord, you rest in the Lord, he becomes your salvation. Then it says, In quietness and trust shall be your strength. In quietness. He is our quietness. Many times we're just in a turmoil, right? There's all kinds of noise, you know, quote, quote, noise. But he is our quietness. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. Now, in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, 
The Lord says, come to me, all who toil and are burdened, and I will give you rest. That's a promise. We can hold the Lord to that promise. We can say, Lord, I come to you. I'm toiling and I'm burdened. Give me rest, Lord Jesus. Give me rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Then verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what is the yoke here? The yoke here is the Father's will. When you take the Father's will, His yoke is easy. His yoke is mild. His yoke is gentle. His yoke is peaceable. His yoke is, is flowing, enlightening. His yoke is light. Uh, his yoke is easy. If you think, oh, it's just so hard to be a Christian. It's so hard to be in the church life. Uh, then you've got the wrong yoke on you. You don't have the Father's will uh, on you. Uh, and then his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Now, his, the burden is the work to carry out the Father's will. So when we carry out the Father's will, that's, that's the Lord's burden. That's the Lord's burden, the work to carry out the Father's will. He says, my burden is light. So if we think things are heavy, we need to get to his burden, his burden. You know, uh, brothers and sisters, this touched me recently. Uh, I've shared this before, but I was really touched by this. Uh, you know, we should never serve the Lord without a burden, without a burden from him. Do you have a burden when you serve the Lord, or are you just going through the motions, through the motions? You know, um, it's possible to serve the Lord and not have a burden. You don't have a burden. You see, I should have a burden for this message this morning. I should be burdened, and I should release that burden. And it becomes your burden. Hallelujah. (laughs) Well, uh, this is striking. In the book of Isaiah, if you look at the book of Isaiah, you look at the first footnote, it says something like, the vision that Isaiah saw, and then in other verses it says, the burden that Isaiah saw. The burden that Isaiah saw. Then in other verses it says, the word that Isaiah saw. Well, what that means is, when you get a vision, that vision becomes your burden. Becomes your burden. The vision that you see is the burden that you see. Isn't this our experience? You see something? It's just like the disciples said in Acts 4, they said, we, we can't but speak the things that we've seen and heard. Because that, that's what burdened them. That's to carry out the Father's will. I love that. The burden that Isaiah saw. The burden. That, let's see something and make it our burden. You know, it's easy to just uh, have a lot of facts in our being and not really have a revelation of those facts. Like recently, uh, I shared in the Wednesday night meeting on the seed of David becoming the Son of God from Romans 1. And uh, I don't know how many of you saw this, but when I was getting ready for that meeting, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, why does Brother Lee share so much on this? There's so many messages on the seed of David becoming the Son of God. Why does he spend so much time on this? 
And, uh, and this is the gospel of God. And so I was just before the Lord asking the Lord this. And I said, Lord, this is too, uh, you know, forgive me for using this word. This is too esoteric to me. This is too theoretical to me. I need to see a vision. Why do you have this here? And the Lord just impressed me. This is my eternal purpose. This is my heart's desire. This is my eternal goal. This is my good pleasure. I can't get off on the seat of David becoming the son of God. But anyway, uh, that's God's eternal purpose, to make seeds of humanity sons of God in divinity. The sun eyes us. Okay, I'll just, I'll just stop there. Anyway, we need to really see that, really see that. Okay, now we come to three. Monthly, Christ is our new moon as a new beginning with light and darkness. Monthly, Christ is our new moon. We need to remember this when it's a new month. Say, Lord, be my new moon this month. And don't wait for the month to turn. Say, Lord, be my new beginning today. I love it. We can have 365 new beginnings a year, right? So every day we need him to be our new beginning. Monthly, we need him to be our new moon. We need to say, Lord, I take you as my ABIB, A-B-I-B. What that means is uh, when the children of Israel, when they had the Passover, their calendar changed. Their calendar changed. And that month became the beginning of months for them. And so they called that month ABIB. And that's what happened when we got regenerated. Our calendar got changed. Now life begins from the time we got regenerated. Isn't that wonderful? So uh, they named that month Abib, which means something sprouting, something budding. Something of Christ should be sprouting in us. Something of Christ should be budding in us every day. And Romans 6, 4, we should pray over these verses. Romans 6, 4 says that we need to walk in newness of life. We need to pray, Lord, cause me to walk in newness of life today. I don't want to be old. Save me from being old. Save me from being dead. And save me from being stale, Lord. Uh, if you look in, uh, in part of the ministry, it talks about the Aaronic priesthood becoming stale. Brother, they use this word, stale. We don't want to become stale. You know, uh, Jim, what is that verse in Deuteronomy again? You know, Deuteronomy 34.7 says concerning Moses, when he was 120 years old, it says his eye was not dim and his freshness had not left him. That's how we need to be. We've been in the church life, I don't know how many years, each of us, but our freshness should not leave us. Our freshness should not leave us. So he's our new moon monthly. Uh, I love John 1.5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The fact that we're here this morning is a testimony that the darkness cannot overcome the light in us. It's wonderful. Now, 4 says, yearly, Christ is our feast for our joy and enjoyment. And in 1 Corinthians 5.8, he says, So then let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, 
neither with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This means Christ is our banquet. Christ is our banquet. He's absolutely pure. He's full of reality, right? Uh, He is our real unleavened feast. Uh, This is the only way we can be kept from sinning is by eating something without sin. Right? He's unleavened. He's sinless. And we're eating sinless food, which is this person. Now listen to the utterance and see. I can commend to you this utterance because these aren't my utterances here. Okay, C says, The extensive Christ who is full of attractiveness and rich in magnetism. Isn't that wonderful? He's rich in magnetism. You just get close to him and he... And you stick to him, right? He's rich in magnetism. He is the essence of the Bible. So in resurrection, in Luke 24, 44, he said, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me must be fulfilled. So that's the whole Old Testament. The things written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The whole Old Testament is a, is a picture book of Christ. And the reality is in the New Testament. But the whole Old Testament speaks forth Christ. Because in John 5, 39 and 40, he told the religionists there who were opposing him, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that testify concerning me. In other words, your Old Testament testifies concerning me. But, it, but it, he went on to say, yet you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So we need, every time we come to the word, come to the Lord that you may have life. Okay, Matthew 1, 1, the Bible begins and ends with Christ. I mean, the New Testament begins and ends with Christ. Matthew 1.1 1, 1 says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You know, as the son of David, he's the king. As the son of Abraham, he's our blessing. So if we want him to, to enjoy him as our blessing, we need to take him as our king. When you take him as your king, you will enjoy him as your blessing. Well, that's the first verse in the New Testament. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Then the last verse in the New Testament is Revelation twenty two twenty one, which says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. So the, the, the New Testament ends with the enjoyment of God. Maybe the grace is God in Christ as the Spirit to be enjoyed by us. That's the way the New Testament ends. And uh, I, I love, this isn't on here, but I love at the end of Revelation, the last prayer in the Bible is, contains both calling on the Lord and pray reading the Word. Have you ever considered this? The Lord says this, Behold, I come quickly. Then John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So he pray-read the Word back to the Lord. And he called on the Lord's name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the final prayer in the 
New Testament. Now, D says, according to the context, your prize in Colossians 2.18 is the enjoyment of Christ as the body of the shadows. To be defrauded of our prize is to be defrauded of the subjective enjoyment of Christ. The subjective enjoyment of Christ. Again, Paul, Paul in Philippians 3.8, he counted all things as refuse so that he could gain Christ so that he could win Christ. So to Paul, uh, everything in his back background was refuse, was rubbish, was dog food. He had a good background in Judaism. You would think, wow, this is a, a good background to have. But to him, anything other than Christ was refuse, was refuse. He says, I count all things as refuse that I may gain Christ or that I may win Christ. Now, E says, our need is for the subjective Christ to become our enjoyment, to complete the divine revelation within us. If we are short in the experience and enjoyment of Christ, we are also short concerning God's revelation. So we don't want to be short in the experience and enjoyment of Christ. Saints, we, need to, we can't let this point go. We need to pray, Lord, I pray that I wouldn't be short in the enjoyment of you. Increase my experience of you. Increase my enjoyment of you, Lord. You know, in, uh, in this verse, Colossians 1.25, it says Paul was commissioned to complete the Word of God. To complete the Word of God. And firstly, to complete the Word of God, if you consider Paul's 14 epistles in the New Testament, without those 14 epistles, there's a huge lack. A huge lack. We, we wouldn't would know a lot of things concerning, items concerning Christ without those epistles. But also, we need to experience and enjoy Christ. And if we don't do that, we're short of the revelation of Christ. We're not just short of, of the completion of the Word of God. We're short concerning God's revelation. So Paul's epistles, uh, they, they contain a full revelation of God's eternal economy. And the content of God's eternal economy is in Colossians 2.2 2 and Ephesians 3.4. Uh, Colossians 2.2 2 says Christ is the mystery of God, and Ephesians 3.4 tells us the church is the mystery of Christ. So we are a mystery. We're a mystery within a mystery. People can't figure us out. Why would these people come here on Saturday morning? You know, I always wondered, why did the... Why people come to the meeting hall to, to mow the lawn on Saturday morning? You know, I was brand new, of course. And then within a few months, I was mowing the lawn on Saturday morning. <laughs> it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Okay, look at F. This is precious. Whatever we do day by day should remind us of Christ as the reality of that thing. If we follow the practice of taking Christ as the reality of all the material things in our daily life, our daily walk will be revolutionized and transformed, and we will be full of Christ. We will be full of Christ. So whatever we do day by day should remind us of Christ as the reality of that thing. And we need to take Christ as the reality of all the material things in our daily life. In this way... Even though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed 
day by day. Our outer man is getting older, but our inner man is getting younger, right? Getting younger in the Lord. Okay, now we come to G. G says we need to enjoy Christ day by day as the reality of all our necessities. He is the reality of all our necessities. Firstly, Christ is our breath. It says when he came to them in resurrection in John 20, 22, it says he breathed into them and he said, receive the holy pneuma, which can be translated spirit or breath. In this context, breath is a good translation because it says he breathed into them and said to them, receive the holy breath. Well, he's the holy breath for us to breathe in. And again, Lamentations 3, 55, 56 says, I called on your name, O Jehovah, out of the lowest pit. Now, a lot of times we get in a pit and we analyze, how did I get in this pit? Lord, what did I do? What did I do to get in this pit? We analyze it, we think about it, but don't analyze. Call on the name of the Lord in the lowest pit, right? And then he won't hide your hide his ear at your breathing, at your cry. Okay, two says, Christ is our drink. You know, Jesus uh, in John 10, John 4, sorry, verses 10 and 14, he was talking to a Samaritan woman. And uh, it's a really good example of shepherding people one-on-one. Uh, he, uh, she said, you're a Jew and you're talking to me, a Samaritan? You know, because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans because they were, they were half Jewish, half Gentile. They, were, they weren't pure, pure Jewish, you know. And so um, the, the Jews despised them. So she was just amazed that he would even talk to her. And then, uh, then uh, she, uh, he said to her something about the living water. And, and she said, she said, she said, can you give me this water so I don't have to come here and get the water anymore? You know, she had no idea what he was talking about. And he said to her in verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who speaks with you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He would have given you living water. Saints, the first thing we need to do if we want living water, is to ask him for it. Just pray a simple prayer and say, Lord, give me the living water today. And he will do that. He will do that. Of course, in John 4, 14, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall by no means thirst forever, but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life, or you could say gushing up into eternal life. Now, to this Samaritan woman, he revealed God's eternal purpose in, in a half of a verse, John 4, 14b, because the Father is the fountain of life, the Son is the spring of life, he's the emergence of life, he's the manifestation of life, and the Spirit is the river of life. So that's the triune God flowing unto eternal life. Now, the word unto means to become in the Greek. So that means if we allow the trying God 
to flow in us, through us, saturate us, and flow out of us, we will become the totality of eternal life, which is the new Jerusalem, which is the new Jerusalem. That's what he shared with this Samaritan woman. And then, uh, of course, she went to the village. Now, if it were me, I would have gone to the village first and put up uh, advertisements, come and hear God, uh, you know. But he didn't do that. He, uh, he talked to a, one woman first. Then the woman went to the village. Then all the village went out to see the Lord, went out to see the Lord. And, of course, they all believed in him. And, and a lot of them said, now, we believe that he's the Christ, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard him for ourselves. We've heard him for ourselves. Now, in John 7, you remember in John 7, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Saints, this word, the last day, the last day, means that all the enjoyment of any success in human life will end. All the enjoyment of any success in human life will end. But the living water never ends, right? The enjoyment of Christ never ends. So he says, let him come to me and drink. Then he says, he who believes into me, as the scripture said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. I love these two words in this portion of scripture. Drink and flow. Drink and flow. Saints, if you haven't flowed in a long time, I would encourage you, you have time in this meeting, you will have time in this meeting to flow out. Flow out. If you flow out, Christ will flow in. Christ will flow in. Uh, it's just like a hose. The way you can tell a hose is drinking water is if water's coming out of it. If water's not coming out of it, then there's no water going into it. So we can drink of the Lord. On the one hand, we can come to the Lord and drink. On the other hand, we can flow him out. We flow him out, we drink, we drink, we flow him out. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. I remember on summer days uh, when, when we used to, anyway, when I was much younger, on summer days we would, we would be playing baseball or something, and it would be so hot. And we would go to the, my water hose and turn it on and drink the water out of the water hose. Can you imagine? And uh, I remember we had to spit out the water at first because it was kind of rusty. You know what I mean? Which means that sometimes if we haven't functioned in a long time, the rust will come out, which is good. And you keep flowing and the water becomes pure, clear, cold, and refreshing. So we need to flow him out. Now, three says Christ is our food. We've talked about this. Christ is our food. And again, the way he can be our food is by being in his word. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out through the mouth of God. This is why we read the Bible. This is why we have scripture verses to back up everything we share. Because uh, we live by every word that proceeds out through the mouth of God. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, Your words were found, and I ate them. I ate them. And your word became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So we need to eat his words. Now, 4 says, Christ is our light, is our light. Now, 
Don't forget, we're on Christ being our necessities. We all need to be in the light. And when Christ comes into us as the light of the world, the Lord says in Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Isn't that something? In, in, in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. It's really something. In Ephesians 5, 8 and 9, he says this. He says, you were once darkness. Not you were once in darkness, but you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So that's what we need to do. Now, five, Christ is our clothing. Galatians 3.27 says that when we were baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. So Christ is our clothing. In Romans 13.14, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I've always, uh, always wondered, what does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, you just have to read the footnote, and you can find out. <laughs> to put on the Lord Jesus Christ is to live by Christ and to live out Christ, thus magnifying Christ. You live by Christ, you live out Christ, and you magnify Christ in your body. That is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So every day we need to put him on. Now, 6 says, Christ is our dwelling place. He says, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Of course, he's the vine, we're the branches. We need to abide in him so that he can abide in us. Then we will bear much fruit. In John 8.31, I don't have this verse in there, but I like John 8.31. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Saints, all of us are disciples. You know, uh, all of us are learners. All of us are learners. If we stop learning Christ, our Christian life has come to a halt. You know, Brother Lee told the trainers in the full-time training in Anaheim, he said, don't consider yourself as trainers. Consider yourself as learners. We're, le- we're learning, right? We're learning Christ. We're not learning about Christ. We're learning Christ. We're experiencing him. We're enjoying him. He is our dwelling place. Now, Roman numeral 2 says the all-inclusive Christ is the reality of all the positive things in the universe. That's quite a statement, right? He's the reality of all the positive things in the universe. Romans 1.20 says the invisible things of him, both his eternal power and divine characteristics, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being perceived by the things made so that they would be without excuse. So when you look at the creation, you can see Christ's divine characteristics, his divine characteristics. Uh, You know, in Psalm 19, it says this, in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, the heavens are speaking. They're speaking. What are they speaking to us? They're speaking Christ to us as the glory of God. And the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. So the expanse is proclaiming something. It's proclaiming the work of his hands. Then it says, day to day pours forth speech, and night to night tells out knowledge. 
There is no speech and there are no words. Their voice is not heard. In other words, it's not an audible, audible speaking, but it's an inner speaking. It's the creation is speaking to you. Uh, I'll share a little bit more with later when we get into these points. Okay, now A says, because the universe with the billions of things and persons in it was created for the purpose of describing Christ, he, in revealing himself to his disciples, could easily find in any environment something or someone to serve as an illustration of himself. Isn't that amazing? He talks about a grain of wheat, right? He, he gets all these illustrations from creation to describe who he is, who he is. Now, in Colossians 1.15, it says, 15 through 17, it says everything was created in him, everything was created through him, and everything was created unto him. The fact that everything was created in him means in the power of Christ's person. Everything in this universe was created in the power of Christ's person. Everything was created through him, which means that he was the active instrument through which the creation came into being. And everything was created unto him, that means for his possession. He's the goal of creation, and he will possess all of creation eventually uh, when, when he returns. And all things cohere in him. We've shared this. He's the holding center of the universe. Now, I would just like to mention some things here. You know, the universe, like Psalm 19 said, is the manifestation of God's glory. It's the manifestation of God's glory. And uh, I'll just tell you where I got this from. I got this from Gospel Outlines. Uh, uh, it's subject to in Gospel Outlines. <laughs> and it says, Psalm 19 says that God's glory is the manifestation of God in six aspects. In six aspects. First, you have the greatness of the universe. The greatness of the universe. Saints, the reason why we like to get out and, you know, it's hard in Anaheim to get out and see things like you see in Spokane, right? Mountains and, and Seattle's beautiful, right? Uh, well, there's things in Anaheim that are beautiful, believe it or not, right? I have a beautiful rose bush in my, in my yard that uh, it, 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 just, it just blooms. It just blooms. It's just awesome. Awesome. What's the manifestation of God's glory? The manifestation of God's glory. So you have the greatness of the universe. And then our brother says this. He says, so great is the universe that even today... No one can tell how great it is. A man viewing the ocean from a big ship is just like a little fish in the ocean. The greatness of the universe manifests the greatness of God. You know, according to Haggai 2.7, Christ is the, is the desire of all the nations. He will come back as the desire of all the nations. Means un, that means unconsciously the nations desire Christ without knowing it concretely. They desire Christ. When they see the greatness of the universe, they say, wow, look at that. One time my little boy said, Daddy, how far away is that star up there? I just went, my goodness. A light year is 186 trillion miles a second. I think that's right. Anyway, I, I didn't know what to say to him. I forget what I said. I said, it's a long ways away. I know I said that. 
Uh, okay. But you have the greatness of the universe. Then you have the wonder of the universe. The arrangement and movement of the stars and also the distinction of the four seasons manifest how wonderful God is. Isn't God wonderful? We can see that in the creation. Then you have the brightness of the universe. You have the sun, the moon, and the stars. They declare that God is a God of light. He's a God of light. Then you have the beauty of the universe, the beauty of the universe. You have mornings and evenings, flowers, grass and trees, mountains and rivers, picturesque views. These all, I'm sorry, and all the pleasant and inspiring scenery are manifestations of God's beauty, of God's beauty. And when you see this, uh, when you see the creation, the creation is declaring Christ to you. And unconsciously, he is, the des- he is your real desire. He's the desire of all the nations. I was, I was telling Jim before the meeting, uh, Ruthie and I are staying with Jim and Debbie, uh, that one summer uh, I, I worked at this Jewish summer camp as a counselor, as a counselor. And uh, we went up to this high mountain, and there was this beautiful valley below, and the sun was setting, and, and I really loved these kids. You know, even though I was an unbeliever, I still loved them humanly. And so the sun was setting, and it was just, their faces were radiant with the setting of the sun. And I looked at them, and I said, there has to be a God. There has to be a God. I mean, my goodness, look at this picture. And then that night, uh, I slept out on the edge of the precipice because I didn't want them wandering out and going over the cliff, you know. You know how kids are, you know. So anyway, I slept out there. And the stars, we've all experienced this to some extent, the stars were like glitter in the sky, just like glitter. And I looked up at the stars and I remember saying, I know I have a destiny. I don't know what it is, but, but God... You know, whoever you are, I believe you have a destiny for me. Because that creation was speaking to me, was speaking to me the beauty of the universe. Then you have the loving kindness of God. It says God's arrangement and preparation of the universe for mankind and his provision for man's every need. Show God's loving kindness toward men. Then you have wisdom, the greatness, wonder, brightness, and beauty of the universe also manifest that God is a God of wisdom, is a God of wisdom. Isn't that wonderful? You can look at that in gospel outlines later. Now, B says, the Old Testament uses six major categories of things as types to describe Christ. Human beings, animals, plants, minerals, Offerings and foods. Can you imagine that? Take so many things to describe Christ. Human beings typify Christ, such as Adam, Melchizedek, Isaac, Jonah, and Solomon. You know, uh, in one verse where uh, they asked the Lord for a sign, and the Lord said, the only sign that you'll get from me is the sign of Jonah. Sign of Jonah. 
who, of course, he went, he was swallowed up by that great fish. It doesn't say whale, so don't say whale. He was swallowed up by a great fish. I don't know how big that fish was, but it was really big, right? It was a great fish. He was swallowed up by that great fish, and, uh, and uh, I really love this story because it's a picture of Christ going into the heart of the earth for three days and then resurrecting to preach the gospel to the nations, to preach the gospel to the nations. And that's what Jonah did. He preached the gospel to the Ninevites. And I love this because the Lord said, I want you to speak to the Ninevites. And so the Lord said, go this way. So Jonah said, okay, I'm going this way. I'm not going this way. I'm going this way. So he rebelled against the Lord, and he went this way. And he went on a ship, and the ship was going the other direction. And there was a huge storm, a huge storm. And, and the men on the ship says, there must be a reason uh, why we're going through this tremendous storm. And they, they, they looked at everybody, and then they looked at Jonah, and he was sleeping. And they said, how can you be sleeping in this great storm? And Jonah, Jonah confessed. He said, I'm the reason for this great storm, because I'm on this ship. So uh, they cast him into the sea. And when they cast him into the sea, everything was calm. Everything was calm. And I like this. The great fish went the other way with him and spit him out on land to preach the gospel to the Ninevites. Sometimes the Lord has to do that with us. We go this way and a great fish comes and takes us back and spits us out. Okay. But, uh, you know, this brother was on a flight one time and uh, this, uh, this person asked him, what sign are you? You know, astrological sign, which is devilish. You know, astrology is devilish. It's just to get that out there. Okay, but he says, what sign are you? And he thought about it and he said, I'm of the sign of Jonah. Sign of Jonah. <laughs> then he preached the gospel to her. It was very good. Very good. Okay. These are all... You consider how you can develop these persons. You can have a message on these persons. Actually, the outline last night, you can have a conference on that outline. Two says... Animals typify Christ, such as a lamb, an ox, a lion, an eagle, and a gazelle. So in Matthew, he's the lion. He's the king. He's the king's savior. In Mark, he's the ox. He's the slave savior. In Luke, he has the face of a man. He's the man's savior. And in John, he's the very God. He's an eagle. In John... He is the God Savior. And our spirits, when we, we, we sang that hymn, it says, How our spirits soar. I think it was a line in there. How our spirits soar, right? I said to Jim, Jim, our spirits can soar today. Okay, three says, Plants typify Christ, who is the tree of life, such as the vine tree, the apple tree, the olive tree, the fig tree, and the pomegranate tree. The different parts of a tree are also types of Christ, such as the root, the stump, the sprout, the branch, and the fruit. Now, all these verses tell us this. All these verses tell us this. Um, Let's see here. 
Um, yeah, he, he's the real apple tree among the trees of the wood. We can sit down in his shade and delight in him. Uh, there are just so many riches here, so many riches. Okay, I'll go to the next point. Four says minerals typify Christ, such as gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and different kinds of stone. He's the living stone. He's the rock. He's the cornerstone. He's the top stone. He's the foundation stone and precious stones. He is our stone savior. All these verses show us this. Now, five says Christ is the reality of all the offerings. This experienced reality becomes our truthfulness, our genuineness and sincerity for the true worship of God. Now, it says in John 4 that God is seeking such to worship him. Who are the such there that God is seeking? He's seeking those who, worship, who would worship him in spirit and reality. And reality is the divine truth becoming our genuineness and sincerity for the true worship of God, for the true worship of God. That's truthfulness. We need to worship him in spirit and in truthfulness. Now, um, brothers and sisters, I'm always very impressed with this. I've got Psalm 100, verse 2 here. And I'll just read the first half of the verse. It says, Serve Jehovah with rejoicing. Serve Jehovah with rejoicing. With rejoicing. Now, in Malachi 3.14, Malachi 3.14 is the opposite of this verse. Because the Lord said to the Israelites, He says, you say, it is vain to serve God. And they said, well, how do we, how have we said that? And then then the Lord said to them, he says, when you serve me, you walk about mournfully. You walk about mournfully. Now, it's possible for us to do that. It's possible as we have a service. Maybe maybe the brothers say, uh, Ed, we'd like you to serve with the junior hires this morning. Instead of saying, oh, Lord, I go, oh, no. You know, and I'm walking about mournfully. Uh, that means, that means it, it's your duty to serve the Lord, but you're not at all happy to do that duty. You're walking about mournfully. We need, to, we need to beware of that kind of service, right? And we need to serve Jehovah with rejoicing. Now, under this, with the offerings, uh, you know, Sometimes we, we, we don't know how to pray, and we can ask, we can tell the Lord, Lord, I don't know how to pray, I'm open to you. And I really enjoyed Leah's testimony last night. We can start with a human talk with the divine God, right? That's where we can start, right? But these points on the offerings give us a road map for our prayer, for our prayer with, to the Lord. Number, number one, which is A, we can take the Lord as our burnt offering which was holy for God's satisfaction. This typifies Christ as God's pleasure and satisfaction. The one who's living on earth was absolutely for God. So every morning we could say, Lord, I take you as my burnt offering. I take you as my absoluteness. Then B says the meal offering typifies Christ in his perfect humanity, mingled or oiled with divinity as food for God and for those who have fellowship with God and serve him. 
So every morning, every time we have fellowship with the Lord, we could say, Lord, I take you as my meal offering. Lord, mingle me with fresh oil. I pray I could feed on your humanity and your human living today, Lord. Then C says, the peace offering typifies Christ as the peacemaker, the one who became peace and the fellowship between us and God by dying for us, enabling us to enjoy Christ with God and to have fellowship with God in Christ for our mutual satisfaction with God. We need to take Christ as our peace offering. As the Lord of peace, he gives us peace continually in every way. He becomes our peace toward God and our peace toward man. According to Philippians 4, 6, if we pray ourselves into God, we have the peace which surpasses every man's understanding. Every man's understanding, it surpasses that because we have the peace of God in the midst of, an, an, of a human anxious situation. But we have the peace of God. That's to take Christ as our peace offering. Now in John 12, when you have that house in Bethany where Lazarus, Lazarus was testifying, Mary was serving, and Martha was loving the Lord, you have a house of feasting there. And actually that house of feasting was a feast of Christ as the peace offering. And so you may, you may think, well, you know, Lazarus, he didn't have to say a word. People just saw him and they got saved because he was raised from the dead. Right? So he just sit there and they go, I believe in the Lord Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> My goodness. He got raised from the dead. What's so striking is if you read the context of these verses, the, the Pharisees wanted to put him to death after he got raised from the dead. He already died once. He got raised from the dead, and you want to put him to death again. Why? Because people were getting saved through Lazarus. Now, you may think, well, I'm a Lazarus. I'm a Lazarus. I'm just going to sit here and testify of the Lord's resurrection life. But actually, we all need to be Mary hyphen Martha hyphen Lazaruses. That means we are Marys who love the Lord to the uttermost. We are Marthas who serve the Lord practically. And we are Lazaruses who testify of his resurrection life. Now, D says the sin offering typifies Christ as the one who was made sin for us and who died on the cross to deal with the sinful nature of our fallen being. Saints, every day, take Christ as your sin offering. To take Christ as your sin offering means you take him as your sin-dealing life. He is the sin-dealing life. And if we minister this life to people, it will deal with the sin in them. We don't have to point out their sins, their failures. But if we're in the presence of God, if we have a clear sky with the Lord, and we enjoy the Lord as a sin-dealing life, we will get with people. And after we leave, they'll have a repentance. They'll, they'll, they'll confess their sins. And uh, I think we've experienced this. Maybe someone, a brother calls us on the phone. Or we just, he says, praise the Lord, brother. And inside you say, oh, Lord, forgive me. Right? Listen, whenever I came to Brother Lee's house, I always said, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> because he was so absolute, you know. And so I was always struck with, Lord Jesus, be my burnt offering today. I need you to be my absoluteness. So we need to take Christ as our sin offering. 
Now, East, as the trespass offering, typifies Christ as the one who bore our sins in his own body and was judged by God on the cross to deal with our sinful deeds that we might be forgiven in our sinful conduct. Now, we'll go to F. The wave offering typifies Christ as the resurrected one in love. The love there comes from the breast. It says the breast may be waved as a wave offering before Jehovah. So he's the resurrected one in love. Then you have the heave offering, which typifies the powerful Christ in ascension and exaltation. We need to take Christ as the heave offering every day. Then also, we take Christ as the drink offering. This is H. This typifies Christ as the one poured out as wine before God for his satisfaction, and also as the one who saturates us with himself as the heavenly wine to be poured out for God's enjoyment and satisfaction. And this new wine, according to Judges 9.13, it cheers God and it cheers man. When we enjoy Christ as our life and as our love, uh, that makes God happy, that makes man happy. That cheers God and that cheers man. Now, 6 says foods typify Christ. Now, before I go to the foods, saints, all those offerings, we can pray over them every day. Just say a short prayer. Lord, I take you as my burnt offering. I take you as my meal offering. I take you as my peace offering. And just go through the offerings and say a little prayer about each offering. Then they become your reality. They become your genuineness and sincerity for the true worship of God. Now, 6 says, foods typify Christ, such as bread, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, wheat, barley, milk, and honey. Milk and honey. C says, in the New Testament, Christ is the spirit of reality who makes the untraceable riches of all that he is real to us, guiding us into himself as the divine reality for our enjoyment. A says, the offerings solve our problems and bridge the gap between us and God. The Lord said, I am the way. What does that mean when he said, I'm the way? That means he's the way into God. He's the way into God. B says, the offerings are good for us to enjoy God, to be mingled with God, and to have God assimilated into our being to become our constituent. Then C says, the offerings are the way for us to enter into God and become part of the divine human incorporation. In John 14, 20, the Lord said on the day of resurrection, he said, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. That's the divine human incorporation. D says, Leviticus, I'm sorry, The offerings are not only sacrifices to solve our problems, but also presents to God for his enjoyment. Isn't that wonderful? By taking the offerings, you can actually present presents to God. And so the Hebrew word for offering means can mean present, present. And so the offerings are presents to God uh, from the appreciators of Christ, from the appreciators of Christ. Okay, did I read? I read D, didn't I, or did I not? Okay, come to two. According to the record in the Holy Word, the reality of the universe 
is Christ as the tabernacle and the offerings. Now, I love A under here. It says, uh, it says, in his becoming flesh and tabernacling among us, he made God enterable. Amen. Oh, God is enterable. Amen. God is contactable. Amen. God is touchable. Amen. God is receivable. Amen. God is experienceable. Amen. God is enterable and God is enjoyable. Now, B says, as the God-man, Christ is the tabernacle to be the dwelling place for God and man, and he is the offerings for man to enter into God. C says, Christ, who is the reality of the tabernacle and the offerings, is the reality and content of the universe. So John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and tabernacle among us. And John 1.29 says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Lamb of God is the reality of all the offerings. Now, D says, through Christ as the offerings, we can dwell in God, and God can dwell in us. This is the reality of the universe and the content of the Bible. C says, Christ as the tabernacle brings God to man, and Christ as the offerings brings man to God, so that man may may be united, mingled, and incorporated with God. D says, the elements of the reality of all the types are in the Spirit. And the Spirit transfuses and dispenses all these riches into us through the Lord's words. All right, now we come to Roman numeral 3. The very Christ, who is the reality of all positive things, is the one who is the head of the body. Thus, to hold the head is simply to enjoy Christ as the reality of all positive things. Now, what does it mean to hold the head in Colossians 2.19? It's to stay intimately connected to Christ as the head. It says, holding the head, out from whom all the body, being richly supplied by mean, and knit together by means of the joints and sinews, grows with the growth of God. A says, since the Christ we enjoy as our everything is the head of the body, The more we enjoy him, the more we become body conscious. One says, this indicates that the enjoyment of Christ is not an individualistic matter, but a body matter. Two says, the more we enjoy Christ, the more we love the other members of the body. Isn't this true? The more you enjoy Christ, the more you love the brothers and sisters. Okay, B says... Because Christ's headship is in resurrection, the enjoyment of Christ spontaneously brings us into resurrection and saves us from our natural being. C says the enjoyment of Christ brings us into the heavenlies in ascension. We can be experientially in the heavens only by enjoying Christ the head as the life-giving spirit in our spirit. Finally, D says, as we enjoy Christ, and hold him as the head, we absorb the riches of the extensive, all-inclusive Christ. These riches become in us the increase of God by which the body grows for its building up. Isn't this marvelous? This is the enjoyment of the all-inclusive Christ as the reality of all positive things. Now, we have about 35 minutes for sharing this morning, which will be really good. 
Uh, Saints, let's do this before we testify, and Jim will tell us how we should testify. Um, Let's pray with our neighbor for a minute. Something that touched us. Uh, If you feel uncomfortable with that, you can pray by yourself. No one will, you know, no one's going to point a finger at you for doing that. But let's pray with it. Nobody's going to bite you when you pray with your neighbor. Uh, Anyway, pray with your neighbor for a minute or so, and then we'll have some testimonies.